Welcome back to LaMagicast, everybody. This is Greg, and I've got Alex and Thomas with me today as we're going to talk about last couple results. We're going to update the coaching story and get into many, many other topics, including questions from uh, our Twitter and Facebook faithful. So let's just jump right back into it. Uh, we've had Pescara result, and now we have Sienna's result today. Uh, Thomas, Alex, two games against two Similar opponents in the sense that they're not exactly beating down the doors of the rankings in the table, yet the results very, very different. Any insights you guys can give me as to how we got to these two different results? Uh, actually, it's um, it's quite surprising uh, the, the two results because uh, if you watch Pescara or Siena this season, you'd, I think Siena is actually a, a decent team. Um, they got six minus points uh, at the start of the season, which obviously yep. made it uh, a very difficult season for them. But I think they have quality in in several players, and and Magara is is a brilliant player actually. So um, I'm quite surprised that we managed to win four 0 against them, and also very surprised that we couldn't manage to to beat Pescara, which I think it's a bit of a disgrace actually. Yeah, yeah I don't think you're alone in in, in the thoughts there. Alex, what do you think? Uh, I mean, are we talking about just a, a great adjustment week to week, or uh, you know, did Siena try and play their game, whereas Pascar only had one thing in mind, and that was just to try and prevent Roma from scoring? Given the circumstances, I can't understand the results at all. Coming from the Inter game and then the the, the game against Pescara was just a huge letdown, but at the same time, not as surprising as it could have been if it hadn't uh, been for the fact that it was Roma. You know, it's so typical coming from a, from a high point to a low point. So, um, yeah. you know, we've seen this uh, countless times before. Yeah, it's it's a uh, tradition that I'd like to see us end, quite honestly. Um, looking at the, the two games myself, um, I, I think, uh, you know, Pescara presented... Uh, a lot of what we were very familiar with, which was um, plenty of opportunities to score, uh, but just really lacking any sort of cohesion in the final third or, or finishing ability. And when you compare that with today, I don't think the games were. The game was, this game was a little bit, a little bit more open, a little bit more free. Uh, but at the same point in time, it just seemed like we finished today. We didn't finish last week. Uh, outside of some of that, uh, that the freer style of this game, they didn't. Siena didn't pack eight in the box uh, like Pescara did. Um, but still, we weren't lacking for chances in that game. We were just lacking for will and desire to finish and, and complete the game out and get the three points. So, um, you know, I think, know, I think the two two games were quite similar. Actually. But the main difference for me was that. Uh, well, we had uh, absolutely nothing going on against Pescara. It was a very poor game with, with um, very low pace and lots of misplaced passes. Uh, I think today we, we saw individual quality um, from from Lamela first to Osvaldo and then later on Totti to Lamela. And you know, scoring the first goal and, and actually being uh, in front leading the game from, from the start, uh, I think that made the whole difference. And then again, it's the big question of of how this team can go from beating Inter convincingly to, to being that, you know, 
is it even a team we saw against Piscala? I'm yep. not sure. It was it was a horrible display, and I think today we saw a completely different team with um, a lot more individual quality coming through. So, but didn't we tweak the formation a bit today, or did we play the exact four two three one uh, against the Pascara as well? I just felt it was more din- dynamic today, but perhaps yeah. it's just me. So are, are we in a, are we in agreement then? Did we we rolled out the four two three one today? Is that what yeah. we're all saying? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. Because the, the initial formation came out as four three three, and but when I started watching them play, it, it just didn't it didn't seem like that, especially with how far uh, Toti was dropping back, and and I've I've been talking with uh, with Dean about this the last uh, few weeks, and and you saw the first half in the Inter game. It it, ha- it didn't work under Luis Enrique. It didn't work under Zeman for complete times. I just don't think that the personnel, whether it's their personalities or their football personalities, can handle a four-three-three. I just don't think that they can do it. They lose the the ball in midfield too easily. The midfielders get stretched too much, and they can't help the defense as much. When we play with more bulk in the middle and more midfielders. It seems like they control the game a little bit more and have a better understanding of what they want to do. And I think if we looked at today's game, we saw that. Uh, sure, but uh, at the same time, four two three one and four three three are essentially the same systems, only tweaked marginally. Um, really, based on you know um, the kind of dynamics going on in midfield, you see, especially Florenzi coming from going through the lines, between the lines, trying to find positions to, to open the defense. And that, to me, is the big difference between the two formations. Uh, whereas 4-3-3 is more of a static dynamic, uh, sorry, static formation. Uh, the 4-2-3-1 has more dynamics to it. So um, I think, I think that, that dynamism that we're talking about is what allows somebody like Florenzi to run in and do what he has to do. Or for Totti to drop back and, and kind of, pull the strings from a little bit deeper or for Janic to, you know, have a little bit uh, more control playing a little bit deeper. Uh, I think also that um, Lamela coming um, some, for some reason, I think he's uh, a bit too restricted when playing in uh, in the wide 4-3-3 formation because um, there seems to be some sort of expectation from, from his part that he should always cut from, from wide position going in. Whereas in the in the four two three one formation, he seems to be more of a in constant movement and trying to find new spaces. So um, I, ta- I think I, I think I agree with you on, on the differences between the two formations. Uh, but at the same time, um, you could use the exact same players and line up the two systems. So it's it's a matter of marginal differences, and I think the important part here is identifying how these players can interact with each other rather than putting a a fixed number to their positions. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely because I think what we're talking about here is the difference between strategy and tactics, right? I exactly. think, yeah. Once once you get them, uh, you know, the overall strategy down, how they're kind of lined up is is one thing. Uh, but tactically, what they're actually doing and responsible for doing is what sets them apart. And I think that's where you see the comfort levels. And and you're you're nailed right on the head, Thomas, with. Lamela, because the goal that he set up, that that first goal, you know, mm. he was in the middle of the pitch. Mm. 
to receive that ball and then to deliver back to Osvaldo. So that's the kind of freedom that I think these players have a, a much better understanding of each other. A lot of times we wind up criticizing them after the game saying, it looks like this is the first time that they're playing with each other. And some of these guys have been with the team for three years or two years rather. So it, it's, it's kind of giving them the ability to express themselves on the pitch in a way that they seem to be much more familiar with. But well, I just want to, um, given that we, we, We first started out with three men defense, three-five-two, um, or, uh, or at least a three men defense, and um, five-one-one is perhaps more correct. But still, it seems after we went to a four-man four-man uh, defense, um, like we had the games against Lazio where we struggled. The first half against Inter was horrible. Uh, and then against Pescara, we struggled again. And then you have the second half against Inter. You have uh, the game again today against Siena. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel so unsure whether to say, let's go for this formation, or perhaps I was more comfortable with a three-man central defensive line. What kind of formation are you guys more comfortable with? Because at the moment, I feel a bit confused whether we will see the... Uh, Roma against uh, um, Inter in the first half or in the second half because at the, at the moment it seems they they have been a bit schizophrenic when it comes to uh, playing their best football. I well, think it's back to what Thomas and I were saying a little bit ago, where the the shape is you know is helpful when you're lining them up to start the game and and who's on what side or doing what, but at the end of the day, it's what are they being asked to do. And I think that's what we need to, the question we need to answer. Also, I think there is uh, a bit of a misconception going on about the solidity of the, the three-man defense. Um, we had games uh, like the one against, uh, I think it was Genoa. Um, yeah. I can't believe we actually won that game. And, you know, in retrospect, we, we consider that a solid uh, solid three points because we, we went up uh, winning the game. We need to address specifically how players interact between you know, from player to player and from defense to midfield and midfield to attack and vice versa. And that's the essential part here. And I don't think we have a clear tendency towards one system being uh, clearly more effective than the other. Also, I think there should be mentioned that first games with Andrea Zoli were also you know, there were his first games and there They went from from being in a complete chaos to being set in a, in a completely different system. Uh, I think that also gave them some sort of effect as as far as um, concentration and determination goes. Yeah, I, I'm just for consistency, and if they keep yep. doing what they're doing, uh, I'm, I'm fine with going into a more Spalletti-ish uh, style again because it's obviously. Uh, works quite good for us. Well, it, it brings up an interesting point, though, and, and one that I've been wanting to talk about for a bit now. And as a coach, you have the responsibility of preparing your team uh, for every game, and sometimes that means understanding the team you're playing, their strengths, their strategy, and the things that they like to do, but also. Uh, having a fixed way about playing for yourself, regardless of who your opponent is. And I think some coaches go a little bit too far 
over that line, right? So you can look at somebody like Zeman who is, okay, we're the 4-3-3, and we're going to march that out there regardless. I don't care. End of story. Case closed. And then you look at, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of what Andrea Toli is doing right now, uh, which is almost revamping each game based on the opponents. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you lack a little bit of that consistency, Alex, that you're looking for. And I think the players... The players like to know what their role is each week in and out and that they can play in a certain way instead of having to kind of make a that much of an adjustment. I understand that you have to adjust somewhat, but that much of an adjustment every week. Like, uh, look at this De Rossi and, and Pjanic. Okay, you're a regista. Now you're not. Now you are. Now I need you going up front. And it's not that they're not capable of doing it. I just think that it would probably promote a little bit better cohesion on the pitch and understanding if they had a little bit more consistency week to week. Mm, uh, I agree absolutely, and I think um, it's it's interesting on a, a several different levels because uh, we started off this um, American campaign here with with Luis Enrique, um, who was essentially the kind of manager who wouldn't want to change his system. Um, this is how we do it, and then we always do it this way. Then King Simon was um, probably even more so to that kind of management. Um, and now we've gone to something completely different. And some of the candidates that have been mentioned for for the job, uh, like uh, Stefano Pioli, um, he also changes his, his system from time to time. But um, Bologna this season, they started off with uh, a three-man defense, and then they uh, moved back to four-man in, in defense and that's because it worked, and he didn't didn't leave that system again. Uh, and that that's the kind of management I want to see from from this Roma. I need to see a manager who uh, identifies the problems and the strengths, and and when he finds a way to, s- to solve the problems, he doesn't change them from week to week. Which I think, you know, like you say, we we've seen that a lot with Andrea Zola lately, uh, changing probably a bit too much from game to game. Yeah, and the, the the funny thing is, is that he's good enough to recognize that it didn't work and change it. But he, it's generally the change that is made is back to the thing that we knew already knew that worked. So it's almost like you know, why are you not recognizing that from the beginning? Well, it's it's not about the numbers. It's, you could go three five two, or you can go four two three one and four three three. Um, I honestly prefer the four-two-three-one or four-three-three three, uh, because, quite frankly, I don't like the three-man system. But I think the essential part when choosing a new manager here is finding someone who who addresses the the um, the dynamics and the links between the players, uh, bringing back the the responsibility from player to player, and you know, getting some sort of um, well, how, how do you describe this? <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, it's not very concrete, but you know, uh, trying to find a system and a sort of way of playing this football that can bring back some of the the attention to detail and attention to interaction between the players. I find that to be more important than than mere numbers because numbers can lie in, in so many different ways. I, I agree. But just to make this uh, podcast uh, a bit uh, more relevant, uh, 
in terms of the news that have uh, popped up lately. Uh, I know, Greg, you said in before the podcast was uh, we started this po- podcast. Perhaps we shouldn't mention uh, the names as much as we should talk about the the kind of coach we want. But I, I just I want to. Have, I think we have, so we can get on to, to to names themselves. That's fine. Yeah, I just want to, you know, Matsari. I mean, there's so much talk about him. How does he fit into this? If he's the guy they pick. Well, first of all, let me just say something um, for this decision as a whole. Um, we, we've seen, <laughs> we're actually seeing um, a complete change in direction from Roma right now because um, all the all the different candidates, um, probably two or three names right now that are a lot hotter than the rest, uh, which is um, Mazzari, Allegri, and Pioli. And, well... Uh, as opposed to the previous seasons uh, with Luis Enrique and Simon, who are a bit of a... Um, I've described them previously as professors because I find them to be people who believe very strongly in their um, way of thinking football and often disregard the opponent. What we're seeing here is something very different. You have three candidates who all um, have attention to more of a holistic approach to to the football, and um, I think all candidates are quite similar in that respect, and it's essentially very different from the previous choices made by by the club. And they're all Italian as well, which uh, means they might uh, give up on the idea of bringing someone from the outside to the club. Which I agree on, by the way. I think it's, uh, it's I feel better of I would feel better if they think, you know, we should, the next guy in such an important uh, year as next season will be, I would feel uncomfortable if we try yet another experiment. So, what do you feel, Greg? Uh, Well, I'll start with the point on uh, Mazzari first and say, um, you know, at, at least what we've witnessed at Napoli is... Um, you know, he likes the three-man defense, and he's not afraid to mix it up up front, whether it's a, a 5-1-1 or a 4-2-1 or, or some kind of change like that. Uh, but I think he pretty much is, is set on the, the three-man defense and um, at times has them playing some really, really solid uh, football. So, you know, I don't think it's... Uh, you know, it's a boring style that, that he's looking for that, that's just about trying to grind out a win. Um, but I, I have, you know, read that there is some rigidity uh, with him in terms of getting off of that three-man defense. Um, so, I can, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn. I haven't followed them that closely enough to know uh, whether that's the case or not. I mean, certainly follow them as much as, you know, when we get a chance to, to watch them. But, um, you know, I'm not reading, you know, news and, and uh, editorials on the team <clears throat> as much. Um, as far as uh, those three candidates, um, if I had to pick right now, I think I, I may lean towards Pioli from the standpoint of what I have read on him, other than his, uh, you know, ability to be tactically and strategically um, variant, but not in a in a large enough way. In other words, like Thomas was saying, found something that worked, stuck with it, you know, and, and made 
small tweaks, but generally the way they played was the same. But what impressed me the most from uh, a few different sources that I had read was what he does in terms of rallying the players. And if there's one thing that we know as Roma fans, it's these these blackout tendencies and and uh, the the crisis of confidence that they seem to always run into. And and uh, you, you don't really hear that a lot about uh, a Pioli coach team. And I think from that standpoint alone, um, you know, if if the management had a true pulse on regardless of the coach that's come in over the last X amount of years, that's been the one constant. So removing tactical, you know, nuances, I would say, okay, who's going to be the guy that gets them to come out strong, finish strong game in game out and, and then worry about the rest of it, you know, secondarily. So that may give me Pioli or give Pioli the edge to me uh, just uh, a little bit in this point in the game. But do you agree on, you know, when you see the three names, it's obvious that the management management um, won't try anything very fresh or new like they did with uh, Luis Enrique. Uh, it, no, it, I don't it, think, that, I don't think they can afford that anymore. I mean, you've heard Totti say we can't have any more year zeros. Um, and obviously a new coach kind of almost is like doing that. Uh, but you know, you, you get something just that's a little bit less, um, of a, of a chance, a little bit less of a risk bringing in a, an Italian, which, you know, is going to help endear you a little bit more to your fans, um, uh, outside of the, uh, Zemanlandia, you know, folks. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think that's pretty much the way they want to go. Yeah, this is uh, this is essentially a rebirth of, of Roma. Um, we're going to see a, a completely result-oriented Roma from next season on. Um, I'm feeling quite confident that if these three names um, aren't going to be, uh, you know, if we're not going to find our new manager in these three names, it's going to be someone similar to to them. Uh, it's not going to be like uh, a revolutionary kind of style, Otikitak uh, or. No, no dreams, no utopias. It's going to be hard work and uh, a rigid system, I think. And like, I like what you said about Pioli. It's, it's exactly my same thoughts, Nehemi. Uh, I think it's the best candidate. Um, Unless Paletti says, "Hey, I'm coming back, guys." <laughs> no, well, I, actually, I don't want him either because I think it's he's. <laughs> it's a bit of the same problem with him as it is with um, Zeman and. Luis Enrique. Um, also, we've tried that before, and it was beautiful. But I don't think we can re- recreate that that dimension to our football. I think we need to go back to some very simple, simple, well, <laughs> not make a basically simple football, but going back to to a rigid system um, that can win games. That's the only yeah. thing that matters right now. And yeah. I think purely, absolutely, the best option right now. I think there's, I mean, there's enough creative and quality talent, me, talent uh, that I, I think we're still going to see our fair share of, of, uh, of beautiful stuff out there. Absolutely, um, and also, so, did you notice today that none of the goals we scored today were a, a result of, of a systematic, exact steamroll. It was uh, yep. seconds of, of, of brilliance from a couple of players, and yet we won four 0 and we've. If we can recreate, you know, produce four nils against teams like that, um, I don't see any problem, actually. 
Yeah, I, I that's exactly it. I think people, you know, when they say, "Oh, this, you know, this coach is is too conservative or too this or too that," I mean, if if you look at the talent that's going out there, um, and and some of that criticism gets hoisted on on Matsadi too for for some of his, uh, you know, the the way he's got those guys playing out there. Um, but there's so much great talent that they find ways to make it look beautiful, right? So mm-hmm. I think the same thing can happen um, regardless of who winds up coaching. I mean, Totti, if, if he's able to do half of, of what he's doing this year, next year, will obviously still be making unbelievable passes and, and scoring his bit. And Lamella, Lamella is young, and he's going to continue to improve. And, and then you have you know, a, guy, a hard worker and, and, and smart runner up front in Destro. And, you know, whether Osvaldo's here or not, I mean, who knows? But I, I think there's just, you know, Pjanic, still creative guy. There's, there's so much talent in the creativity area. They just need to, you know, understand when their opportunities are and to take them. And, and the rest is going to take over. I mean, that's, that's why I say, you know, the more they control, uh, you know, that midfield especially – um, they're gonna, their chances are gonna come. They, they don't have to worry about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, um, I think it should be it should be noted right now that Masari is probably by far the the most um, um, <coughs> possible name here. Um, also, so we, we should discuss uh, his his style and his kind of management. And I think going back to the initial debate we had about three men in defense versus four. Um, what I'm what I'm thinking about this is that uh, three men in defense basically imply that you're going to have uh, the wing backs going on in midfield, which later on implies that you won't have any kind of wingers in your system, right? You'll you'll agree to this, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, what I think here is it could be both an advantage and also a disadvantage because. Um, while I like Lamela going in, uh, being central, I also like the idea of him uh, being able to push wide as well. Um, when you watch Napoli, it's it's basically only Suniga and and, and Maggio going wide, whereas the rest are are centered most of the time. Um, was uh, Lavezzi? Uh, I thought he was um, more a free role, uh, or was he more he was, central? He was. Um, most of the time he was staying close to Cavani. Okay. Um, so, uh, if you would translate that into this Roma, you'd have Osvaldo Destro being the, the centravanti, and you'd have uh, probably Totti lying somewhere close to them again. And then it's a question, where do you fit Lamela? Lamela well, I think, you know, just looking at our own runouts with the three-man defense, we've gone 3-4-2-1, um, where Totti and Lamela sat behind the striker, so I don't. You wouldn't probably have Osvaldo and Destro out there, so we could say Totti and Lamela sitting behind Destro if we want to fast forward to next year and then mm. potentially assume that Osvaldo is gone, because that still gives Lamela the ability to get wide if he needs to. But so, th- or, or either way, it gives the two of them in the middle the ability to be wide or central or wherever they want. They can roam to create the space um, that'll help. And and that's kind of really, to me, what 
showed what I already knew coming in, what Toro Cetus could bring to this team, was I love that we were running out there with either a 3-5 or a 3-4 because that put him in a position where he's going to just run up and down that flank and and actually put the ball inside the box the way that the ball should be put inside the box. And, uh, I mean, I, I thought he had a gr- another really, really strong game today, um, even playing, uh, you know, coming back from a, a fullback position. So um, if he stays, uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't recall, I don't remember exactly how we got him. Um, but if, if we manage to keep him next year, uh, I, I would say he's your penciled in um, right wing back right there. Yeah, he's he's ours. We we signed him full. So beautiful. But um, yeah, it's, it's true what you say about the possibility to go wide and such. But uh, also, I'd like to to mention that in the in the Tiridente of of Napoli, you have Cavani, and you have most of the time Pandev or occasionally Insigne. And then you have someone like Hamšík, who is who is absolutely <laughs> well, he's a machine, and I'm not sure if you can. If, if Mazzari would be uh, comfortable with putting uh, Totti and Lamela, who are quite limited defensively together in such a position, uh, or if he'd want to go with someone like Florenzi in that kind of position. And that makes me a bit... I'm a bit worried, actually, um, because I I want to see Totti and Lamela coexist, and I want to see a, a true striker up there. So, well, uh, do, do you think he will... If he comes, Mazzari, do you think he wants to look at his own Napoli, today's Napoli, and try to convert today's Roma into that? Because yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think we may be unfairly projecting the way he runs that team, how he would run every team. Maybe he, he sticks in that system because he has the players that work well with it. Yeah, but also if you look at his Napoli today... Um, if we try to use that as some sort of benchmark as to how how he wants his team to be um, both defensively and offensively, um, you have a central midfield with Inler and uh, Berami, both of which are extremely uh, well. <laughs> they're they're both two fighters. Uh, Inler is obviously a great passer as well, but um, the sum of these two isn't the same as De Rossi plus Pjanic. Uh, so we'd already be short in defensive fibers from midfield. And I think we, if you go a further step uh, closer to, to, to your opponent's goal, you find that probably, I don't see I don't see Masari fitting both Lamela and Totti in, in the same team, especially if Pjanic is in the central midfield. So that's, that's the kind of thing that worries me right now. Uh, Masari is, in fact, quite risk-averse and... Uh, which also could be seen by his lack of, of trust in, in young players. Um, that's the kind of thing that worries me. Is he too risk-averse to to um, play in such a manner that the Roman crowd will appreciate him? Yeah, that's a that's another great point, Thomas, about his uh, you know assumed uh, you know lack of desire to play young kids when. Seemingly everybody that Sabatini is rumored to have been talking to is in the 18 to 22 range. Mm. Um, you know, when we don't have very many other options, yeah, obviously then, you know, the, the list of players that you choose uh, may have to come down in terms of average age, but he may not, you know, he may try to go through every other potential option uh, before reaching that point. 
I mean, there were times, even with Andrea Toli, where, you know, Perotto was starting games not too long ago. So, uh, you know, we obviously don't want to see a run out of that. Um, yeah, that to me is an expression of risk, of, uh, risk aversion. Yep. You know, this is actually a question from uh, Enzo Giordani as well, uh, because he asked us, Mazzari or Allegri, what's the pros and cons of each? And, you know, with this discussion uh, right now, I think you can't avoid the, a certain, you know, there's always a degree of pros and cons with every coach you choose. I don't think we can have a new coach who can benefit every player we like on the squad, someone will not be satisfied. And right now, the concern should perhaps be uh, more on on uh, the next coach and, and what he can bring than potentially what kind of uh, players will be unhappy. You know, I, I hope none will be unhappy, but I think it's hard to avoid the problem that some might some not might fit in. If, if I'm allowed to start on this one, I'd say that Mazzari and Allegri have very similar qualities. Um, Matsari has never failed as a manager. Um, the same applies to, to Allegri, who started off with you know, a project at Sassuolo, going from from Serie C to Serie B, um, being given the, the Panchina d'Oro. Um, then he went on to Cagliari, um, having success there as well, and then later on moving to Milan, uh, again being successful, at least to some extent, winning the, uh, the, the Scudetto. Um, they have the same kind of winning fiber, which I think is essential. Um, then you can ask um, several slightly less important questions, like who will be the best kind of mentor for young players? Um, I'm leaning towards Allegri on this. Uh, and then there is um, also who will be the best manager against the top team, uh, which Mazzari has been... Um, well fairly unsuccessful with. Um, I think essentially what it comes down to is how do we want to um, do we want a manager who is extremely focused around results? Um, in that case, I'd like to go with Mazzari. Um, otherwise, I think Allegro is more of a well-rounded manager. Um, this is a little trick I picked up um, a while ago back in the uh, early early days of the internet when uh, when most of you probably weren't even born yet. Um, but uh, when when message boards, which obviously are still popular today, but um, they were kind of like, you know, the only place to go to to connect with other fans. Obviously, you know, Twitter or, any, or Facebook or anything like that. And and the the trick was when your team was rumored to be trading with another team for a certain player, you would go to the uh, the team of the player that you're supposed to be getting's message boards and see how upset they were about this kind of a, about this move. So if they were like, "Oh, thank God, we're getting rid of this guy," then you weren't exactly thrilled when your team actually consummated that trade. But if you saw a lot of fans that were complaining, like, "Oh, how could we be get, getting rid of him?" or "I don't care what we get back, this is a bad move." then you kind of felt good about the trade that was going, regardless of what it was you were giving up. So when the Allegri rumors were picking up steam a little bit, I kind of did the same thing, but I went to my trusted Milan resource, uh, Michelangelo Gambarini, 
um, who I'm sure you guys follow as well. And I asked him, you know, a little bit about him and I, I asked him, you know, some, some stuff and, and he gave me some really, really strong feedback, uh, about Allegri and, and, you know, what it wasn't positive, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll put it that way. And I, I actually, I think I retweeted it out, um, uh, a few last week or two weeks ago. And, uh, so when I hear that from the, from the guy that's, that's coaching, you know, his team, you know, that, that call gives me some cause for reservation, um, and for concern, uh, you know, so I'm, you know, obviously situations are different. You give a coach a different set of players and they're a little bit different um, in terms of the results they can produce. But when you start looking at um, the things that he was telling me, he's, you know, rigid in his system and, and doesn't do well against big teams. And and, uh, you know, a few of the other comments that he made, it definitely gave me a little bit of concern from him. But uh, aren't Milanisti generally um, a bit delusional about the quality of their team? Because by looking at their team, um, like Maxess and Zapata and, uh, and the midfield with players such as Ambrosini and Boateng and that kind of thing, um, <laughs> also, I'm wondering, do they expect their team to win a Scudetto? I think they do. Yeah, if they do, that's that's really strange because it's not a Scudetto team. You know, Milan is a kind of a a uh, weird story this season. It's kind of unbelievable to see how they can turn around so quickly. And you know, I was certain Allegri was finished uh, after the first eight matches, and then look at them today and see where they are. It's kind of hard to take that away from them, if you know what I mean. So, um, you know, if they had done what they did from November from the start of the season, they could actually have given Juventus more more of a fight, actually. It, it'll be interesting either way. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm just real curious to see uh, what they do and, and why they do it. And we may, as we start to see some more rumors about summer transfers coming out, you know, if, if, some of this, if they delay the announcement of, of who they're going to go with... Um, you know, we may start seeing some hints in some of the players that they're going after. So I, I think we got to really pay attention to uh, a lot of these rumors that start coming out, um, especially if we know, you know, if the rumor is, you know, signed or not signed. Um, but we definitely know that Sabatini was out talking to somebody. I think that's probably more telling than anything else. Yeah. Um. I'm moving on uh, with uh, more questions, if it's okay with you guys. I'll just, I just want to make a closing remark on, on the question about managers. Yeah. I think that Pioli by far is the best option right now because he is like a Spalletti injected with a touch of Capello. And that's the kind of thing we need, uh, in my opinion. If right. he's not available, I'd like to go with Mazzari uh, instead of Allegri, I think. Simply because Mazzari is an extreme kind of winner type. Um, you often get sent off and whining a lot, but um, he does bring results to Napoli, and he's overperformed vastly with Napoli. And I think that's the kind of mentality that we need at this point. I'm, I'm in that same order uh, as you, Thomas. Yeah. 
Unless Prandelli is was to no. arrive. Not that that will happen before the World Cup, but, you know, still. I don't want him either, actually, but <laughs> that's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, what's our next question? Um, there's a lot of uh, questions uh, about Osvaldo, uh, like Jeffrey mentioned, um, Jeffrey Hatch. He was unreal tonight. Will he keep it up? And if so, should he stay, is this question. And I just wa- want to add to the question that he was booed today after a hat-trick from uh, parts of the fans, which was quite sad to see. But for me, I mentioned on the last part that I actually thought if he did uh, an excellent closing of the season and the fans treated him well, I actually thought that he could, you know, there was a chance of him staying. But after hearing the boost tonight, I think it will be hard to see him uh, continue. But um, what do you guys think? Should he stay or should he go? I think he's re- doing a really, really good job of helping us drive up the price. Yeah, that's you know that's that's about where where I'd put it. I, I think you know I, I've never seen a guy score. Was he at 15 goals right now? Um, most of which before uh, the break. Um, but I've never seen somebody have you know score that many goals, and yet it seemed like such a terrible season. And I just don't know that they need the drama. You know, I don't know that I, I don't doubt when he says that he loves playing for Roma. I don't doubt it. But every time he says that, he also has to say that he can't get out of his own way and that he has these problems that he can't get beyond. Well, we'll help you get beyond them by putting you somewhere else because the talent is there. He's, he's obviously, you know, good at what he does on most days. But this is a team that needs to move forward and grow and become better than in any kind of individual case or scenario that pops up. So in that case, I say keep scoring, Pablo. Drive up that price, and we'll get you somewhere where you can smile. <laughs> I agree. Um, absolutely, uh, Greg, because um, to me, I think, well, it essentially comes down to price. We shouldn't sell him unless we get a good price for him. Um, but I think we will, like you said, he scored a hat-trick today, and he was really sharp in front of gold. So I don't think the market value should be a problem. What I do think is a problem is um, whenever I see him play and he's having an off day, it feels sort of like um, he's draining his teammates of of energy in some sort of way because he doesn't run that much, he doesn't fight, he doesn't... Sometimes he wastes opportunities by doing the slightly too difficult maneuver. And I think... Everything sums up to not being a team player to the extent that we need. Um, furthermore, I think um, his value, if it could be sold for somewhere around 13, 14 million euros, could be spent better elsewhere. Um, by putting those money back in the in the pot, we could go for uh, a slightly cheaper attacker. We have uh, we do have Borello on loan, and if we could place our money on Destro and bring back Borrello as a second option, I think we could use those mo- that money to, to reinvest in other uh, parts of our team, such as um, bringing in a, a really good central defender. There's a lot of questions on Osvaldo, and I would try to do this smoothly because um, I want to mention those who, who asked us a question, because Sari 
Our friend Sari asked if we could afford to sell uh, Pablo Osvaldo, given he has scored 15 goals. And you mentioned this, Greg, that, you know, and you as well, Thomas, it seems like we are in agreement that Osvaldo will be sold and we can afford to sell him. But the question then is, and this is from Facebook, from Christopher Mark Parsholt, who asked us who could possibly replace Osvaldo this summer uh, and while being content with playing second fiddle to Destro. So is the answer to that Borello? Because that's uh, a bold uh, answer, so, if so. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going with Borello unless we can offload him and place our money on someone like Marco Sau or... Um, well, it really depends on how the market moves. Um, a player like Pazzini could be transferable in the summer if, uh, you know, if Milan decide to go with someone else. Um, there could be options uh, at a good price, but uh, right now I see it as Osvaldo. Well, another point is that which which uh, central which central Avanti hasn't scored a lot of goals with Seman. <laughs> It's a real question. How many times have you seen a, a striker being the, the focal point of Semans uh, 4-3-3, not scoring tons of goals? Yeah, so you feel that the goal ratio of uh, of Osvaldo and Lamela is overrated, or what do you, what's your point? Yeah, I do feel that, um, well, Lamela should be somewhere around 10 under normal circumstances, I think. Um, but I think Osvaldo also... He, his form dropped substantially when, when Seman left. And playing in that role, you get a huge amount of chances. If you watch Pescara last season, um, Immobile scored 28 goals, and I think he could have scored 50. <laughs> Honestly, uh, he, he wasted so many chances. Um, i never seen anything like that before. Um, that's the thing about that kind of player. Yes, he scored 15 goals, but how many of those goals could be characterized as a product of having that exact role in that team right i know you greg does doesn't like to to mention uh, you know the, the mercato kind of t- uh, questions but if we offload oswaldo like you mentioned um how much focus should go into strengthening the attacking option given that we have destro and, uh, and a youngster like lopez well I, I don't i mean if if the market play is right and the value is right for what you can get for a player i don't think you ever turn down you know the opportunity so it depends on opportunity cost more than anything else um but i I will say that it's really going to depend on who the coach is because as we've seen with each of these two new coaches the direction that sabatini has to kind of go out and and try and inquire has been very different for, for each coach so um, you know, maybe we'll need a more traditional target man. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, Torres, how many times has Torresita thrown in a perfect cross and there's three people in red shirts in the box standing around doing absolutely nothing? Um, so if, if we're going to be utilizing wingers a little bit more, maybe we need another tall body. We should get this Cavani guy. I hear he's good. <laughs> he's okay. He's okay. Yeah, he's decent. <laughs> I don't think we can. I don't think opportunity costs are going to come that cheap. <laughs> to me, if there's there's so many variables um, as to who that person could actually be, I'm more curious 
as to what type of, of uh, additional offense we're going to pr- look to try and add. You know, maybe maybe it isn't a number nine that we're looking at, or maybe we're trying to bring in a 10 or a 7, you know, to to provide that supplementary, supplementary scoring um, instead of uh, the primary. Yeah, that's, that's true. And um, as far as Osvaldo goes, I think the main problem, what everyone seems to dislike about him is um, sometimes I feel as if he doesn't want to be a footballer. Uh, you know when he he was uh, he was questioned um, about his fondest memories from his time at uh, Espanol, and he actually mentioned playing guitar at a bench in Barcelona. <laughs> I think that says a whole lot about him as a person. I don't think he actually wants to be a footballer. I think he wants to be a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's what the kind of personality we need in this team right now. We need someone who. Uh, carries his share of the load and also someone who has a, a positive kind of uh, way of being. Uh, that's the main problem with uh, with Osvaldo for me. I think you, was it you that wrote that on uh, your blog? Because um, uh, I, I, I think I read the, the, the speaks in favor of selling him. Was that answer of, uh, where he said he was talking about uh, sitting on a bench in Barcelona because you, he can't have that life in Rome. You can't be left alone in Rome uh, in the same way he could be the Espanol player in, in Barcelona. Uh, I, think, uh, I think it was Oscar who made that point, actually, and um, I think it's a fair point. Um, I don't want necessarily a player like De Rossi who is you know, hell-bent on winning, you know, so extremely determined to the extent that it actually weakens him as a player because there is no equilibrium. Uh, I want want a player who has the ability to enjoy himself outside of football as well, but I don't want a player who who talks about, you know, playing guitar as his best memory as a a footballer in a a city. Yeah. What else you got, Al? Yeah, the last question is from uh, my friend Simon. Um who asks us, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to call Florenzi Capitan Futuro from today on. Um, I, I don't know uh, how you guys want to respond to that, but it could we could mention De Rossi to, uh, on this podcast as well, on the last, because I'm curious uh, on what you guys uh, think of De Rossi's future in, in the club. I know you, Thomas, has... Yeah, I've written a lot, a lot about him, so I'm, uh, I really want to add that to this podcast. So, Greg and Thomas, De Rossi, uh, the future captain of uh, Roma, or is it um, Florenzi? Well, um, like, you, like you said, I wrote something about this, um, and the piece was received with, um, well, what I could best put as mixed reactions, <laughs> because... <laughs> Uh, I advocated that we should sell De Rossi. And uh, you should mention the name of the blog for the those who are curious. If you're yeah. if you are a Roma fan and you are not reading Thomas's blog, it is it's criminal. It is one of the best uh, blogs out there um, on just unique views and excellent insight. Thomas, excellent stuff always. Okay, thank you very much. I'm very happy to hear that. We will we will uh, we'll put the a link to Thomas's blog. In the uh, the podcast post on Roma Journal as well. Yeah. But Thank go- you very much. But, but anyways, uh, as I was saying, um, 
I've made some points about selling De Rossi. It's not because I don't like him as a person anymore or that I think he doesn't represent us in a good way. I think he's... Uh, um, I love him like a big brother, actually. Um, he's, he's the best kind of person you can find in, to have in your team. However, I think by looking at his technical quality at the moment uh, in relation to his salary, which is $6 million, um, I'm starting to wonder if we're better off spending the money elsewhere. And, you know, the salaries we spend on him uh, cover uh, Marquinhos, Lamela, Pjanic and Osvaldo. So you, you can go ahead and think uh, just how much we could gain from uh, from selling Rossi. Uh, and also, I think, um, if I can go on that, um, yeah, sure. I think it, the time has come for Rossi as well to go elsewhere. Um, I, I can't I can't say that on, on his behalf, but I think that whenever I see him, I feel that he should be somewhere else. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but he feels somewhat forced being in Rome at the moment. Greg, how do you uh, before we end the podcast? I, give me I will your, say, uh, I will say that that n- nothing Thomas said is wrong, um, but I still don't want him going anywhere. <laughs> um, in in the face of the fact that everything you said was right and absolutely correct, uh, I think he benefits the most from comfort and consistency, and I think that for that reason alone. It's why we see him perform so well at the national team level. He was one of Italy's best players um, at the Euro. And he under, there's a, such a huge understanding from Prandelli what it is that is expected of him. Even if it's swapping from being the central defender or whether it's playing you know, in a three-man midfield uh, in front of the defense, whatever it is, there's a very, very, very strong understanding of what his role and responsibilities are. Mm. And that was very much the case under Spalletti. Week in, week out, his role was the same. He benefits from that kind of system. It doesn't matter what the system is, but he benefits from that kind of consistency. So, I would love for us to be able to put him back in that kind of a situation where he has that comfort, where he has that consistency, where week in, week out, he knows what his role is. He's not bouncing around from box to box to regista to trecortista to whatever it is, that, you know, winger to whatever it is that we're bouncing him on. As long as he has that consistent role and understanding and expectations from his coach, like he does with the national team, I think we will get that same kind of elite player performance that we've come to expect from him. So that's why I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger, number one. Number two, I don't think there's going to be any less a market for him, say, next year than there is this year. I think you make an excellent point here. Uh, I hadn't thought about that before, actually, about the consistency of role and such, but um, speaking about the role, I'd like to think that well, I've, I've been thinking for several years now that De Rossi, to me, has um, all the characteristics of a player moving from box to box, um, forcing, and the kind of enforcer, a brawler, really. Yep. Yeah, I know that you. Uh, um, we've been talking for so about, long time. Yeah. yeah, for so long time he's been playing out of a gist, and you know he has an accuracy of 83%. I checked it up the other day. 
which is not nearly good enough for a Regista. And he's constantly making long passes, um, never amounting to anything but um, a wasted, a wasted ball. And I think he needs to be redefined as far as position goes, um, going back to where it all started. And I think that's why he's also so successful with the national team, because there is already a Andrea Pirlo there. You know, exactly. That role is all And when it's not Pirlo, it's not De Rossi, it's Verratti now, right? Exactly. So he he understands, like I said, that just the the understanding of what his role is on that team is very very clear. Yeah, and, and it's I, not a register. But yeah, yeah, it's a very good point about you know the consistency playing the same role. Maybe it could be better if he played register every week as well. But I think if we if we decide to to continue another year with the De Rossi, I think we need to find the true yeah. De Rossi. Yeah. yeah, some some players can do that. Some players can can you know have that flexibility um, and and move around a little bit. But I mean, I think it, when we look at the two guys who have been in that role the most for us, Pjanic and De Rossi, when one of them is not doing the thing that they're most comfortable with. Their performance suffers. I mean, there have been games where Pjanic is completely invisible, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's some games where, like, man, this guy is a genius in the midfield. And it's all based on what their role is and what their responsibilities are. And when they're in their comfort zone, they're elite, you know, national team stars. But- May I also add something about, you mentioned Spalletti and the time where De Rossi had one specific role. And I'd like to mention that, at that time, he was never the regista. Never. That was Pizarro. Yep. Yeah. So never even even I think in, in games when when Pizarro didn't play for injury or or whatever, I still don't think the responsibilities fell on him, or at least didn't fall solely on him. No, I'm pretty certain, and it speaks in favor of keeping De Rossi for a new year that Allegri or Mazzari or Pioli, if they get the question. Do you need De Rossi? Do you want to keep him? They will definitely say, yes, we want to keep him. It's, it's really a question about selling him in order to get other types of players as well. No, that's true. Uh, but anyway, I think if you want the kind of manager who could bring out the best in De Rossi, I think uh, Walter Mazzari, he, I think he'll, he's going to love De Rossi. And I think De Rossi is going to love Mazzari as well. Yeah, I can. See, I, can I, I agree. I, I also think that Mazzari could boost De Rossi. All right, Greg, and any final words, or if not, uh, wrap it up. All right, well, I want to thank everybody that's sending questions. I want to thank Thomas and Alex for joining on this week's podcast and for allowing me to join is probably a little bit more accurate based on the number of times I've been able to get on here. Um, but uh, as always, uh, a pleasure to be here with La Magicast and our fellow Roma fans. So I guess uh, we'll wrap it up, and we'll see you soon. Grazie, Roma. Ciao. Ciao. You have to say ciao, Thomas. <laughs> okay. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. All right. There we go. Now yeah. we're now we're complete. <laughs> That's awesome.